Welcome to season three of Paddy Talks Golf. This podcast, as ever, is brought to you thanks to Seed Golf Balls. So head over to SeedGolf.com. Try them today because you deserve great balls at a fair price. They do a decent trial pack. So check out which one suits you best. Whether that's the Seed 1, 2, 5, 15. And there's more coming. Some great new products as well. Accessories. Really good swag uh, to pick up along the way. In season three, as ever, I'm looking to bring you interviews with people in golf from the amateur game, from the professional ranks, the PGA pros. But also I'm looking forward to bringing you like a new segment, which is episodes around golf clubs and courses themselves. So stay tuned for those with some really special iconic golf courses, as well as some hidden gems along the way. And I am delighted to bring Paddy Talks Golf back when golf is back. Um, so we're all getting back on the golf course and on this week's show is Olivia Mahaffey now this was recorded a few weeks back and at the time there was no plan for Olivia or she didn't know what to do next given about COVID-19 but since recording she will be heading back to our state university for a fifth year after the COVID-19 crisis um, and due to the cancellation of the LPGA Tours Q series scuppered her plans to turn professional but that will still be there next year so we wish her all the best in that but before we go any further roll it there Roisin I mean, listen, we're talking about practice. Joe Bradley told us the production line was finished in Kerry. Where's Joe Bradley? What do you think of that? Donald Donovan is the last quarterback. He hits it. He hits it. It's over the bar. Oh, holy Moses. It's all on this. Round and over. Oh, what a finish. Well, here it comes. Oh, wow. In your life, have you seen anything? Thank you for pressing play. On today's show, we have, I believe, the most dominant figure in ladies' amateur golf. Um, having an almost endless list of achievements and accolades, serial winner, top performer, multiple Irish close titles and record-setting wins in Arizona State to rival Phil Mickelson, um, four-time All-American, two-time Curtis Cupper, Olivia Mahaffey. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. I think that's one of the longest intros I've, I've done so far. Really? <laughs> You've done quite a lot in, in not so many years. So, um, But before we get into that, um, how's isolation treating you? Isolation's been good. Um, it's quite unusual. I'm so used to being on the road and living in a suitcase. So it's actually kind of nice to feel a wee bit of normality. So I'm getting to spend some time with my family and lucky live in the countryside and, and can kind of still practice a little bit and hitting into farmers' fields and stuff. So that's kind of good. <laughs> I think that's where a lot of us started was hitting into farmer's fields. Uh, I had a shed to AMS that was about 180 yards away, so I, I used to pepper that thing. Um, you got out of Dodge, out of the States, just in time, I believe. Um, what was the atmosphere like over there versus to here around that time with the whole coronavirus thing? Yeah, it was kind of crazy. I was in Hawaii um, when I found out that we just oh, won bad. the corner. Hawaii? I know. I just found out <laughs> we'd won, and we it was actually during our spring break, so we had two extra days in uh, Hawaii so we're so excited and the first day after we just won we found out the rest of our NCAA season was cancelled so let's just say the next two days weren't too fun so kind of got back to Arizona and, and just couldn't really decide whether I wanted to come home or I wanted to stay and and then I kind of kind of decided booked a flight right away for two days later packed up uh, moved out of my apartment because um, that was my least end in the summer and I knew I wouldn't be back so it was just a bit madness a bit crazy and quite hard to process but I just thought I'd felt, feel safer at home with my family. No absolutely um, when was the last time you got to spend this much of time at home and with family spending quality time? Do you know what's crazy? I was talking to my coach Donal um, a couple of days ago and I was saying, you know, it's so weird I broke my hand last summer and I had the whole summer pretty much off competitive golf 
Mm. And I've got this summer pretty much all off competitive golf. So I've had two summers in a row. And before that, I couldn't have told you the last time I was at home for more than two weeks. So it's been a weird couple of years, couple of summers. Absolutely. Uh, We'll get into it a small bit then, Olivia. Can you remember, what was your earliest golfing memory? My earliest golfing memory would probably be, I think uh, I won like the, le- it was, it was like, you know, the higher handicap section of like the Leinster girls. So there was like the, you know, the proper winner of the Leinster under 18s. And then there was the section for girls, probably handicapped 16 to 24, something crazy like that. And I think I was just a wee one, like so young and I won that. And I remember all the guys from Tansky came down and watched and it was a big deal. And I have a lot of memories from that. So I'd say that would be the first one. I kind of went from there and thought I'd really want to do this seriously and I think it was about nine or ten at the time absolutely 10 degrees it's a club that seems very um inclusive and, and returns to the community um and you actually are heavily involved in the golf for girls for life program with the the lady golf union how important is that program to you and, and to helping out the 10 degree yeah, it's it's important to me, and um, you know, Tangiye, you've got a great section. Royal County Down, you've got a great section. So many clubs across Ireland have such great lady sections, junior sections, and uh, that's something I didn't really have when I was growing up. I was the only girl at my club. Always played with the boys, and um, it's something that I really want to give back and help with. And you know, if I can inspire a couple of girls to take up the game and and to find the game for life, that's as important to me as winning winning trophies and uh, I take that as a, a big role and something that I really enjoy I really enjoy spending time with the girls and helping them that's absolutely fantastic um you mentioned your own um introduction to golf there was on your own so can you walk me through kind of your journey through girls golf up through the ranks yeah I uh, started always playing with the boys at Tangigay and then um my dad took me to a couple of tournaments you know kind of started out at you know, Leinster girls, Ulster girls, and kind of was in the higher section of those. And and then, um, gosh, it's even hard to remember, but I know I was, you know, getting to the finals of Ulster girls and, and things like that. And then when I was 13, I got my first um, Ireland cap. It was in Sardinia, I believe. Um, and then kind of from there was, you know, on all the panels, uh, playing internationally. And when I look at my journey, I kind of feel like I you know, went through step through step. I kind of started out in Ireland and feel like I got to a point where I was kind of dominating there and then, you know, brought it internationally, got some wins international, Scottish, Welsh, um, and then, you know, kind of played more uh, tournaments internationally, further away from Europe, and then kind of the journey to America. So I kind of see it as like four or five steps through my career so far. At 13, when you kind of got your first selection for an Irish team, what, what, can you remember what your handicap was? Gosh, that's a great question. I have no idea. I must would have been less than five. It would have been. Oh yes, I must have been about scratch. Yeah. I'd say. Okay, just like for any any girls listening to kind of think about you know to set kind of expectations around when can I expect or or kind of what level do you need to be at, and then, what stage or, or age did you represent the Irish lady like the senior ladies team first? Oh, I must have. I played three or four girls. Uh, maybe about sixteen. I played European six or seven. 15, 16, 17. around that time I played the ladies Europeans instead of the girls um, maybe two years of that so how has been involved with the ladies golf team and I suppose Donald Scott's HP program helped with your own development it's great you know I, I'm around a lot of girls especially nowadays where I see what other federations are doing and I really do think our, our programs and everything in place is so elite what we have I think we have one of the best high performance programs and 
Uh, we're very, very lucky with that. Um, I think we're ahead of a lot of federations and very, very lucky. You know, the the people they place around us, the support systems they offer us, the funding that we receive, the tournaments that we're able to go to. Um, definitely the programs have been very, very, very elite. Is there anything from that, I suppose, elite program that you would have loved to have started doing earlier? So maybe around the time you were a scratch or 13, mm-hmm. 14, 15 years of age that maybe would have given you a, a bit more of a head start? Yes, I really wish I got into the fitness of golf earlier. Um, I was very lucky. I, I was working with Robbie, um, but that only came about when I've kind of had a couple of years of not so good training, doing the wrong things, and and then very lucky that you know I was I started I was in Robbie's hands, I was in good hands, and kind of got onto a good program. But I definitely wish that I like had better guidance of the fitness aspect when I was a little bit younger. But there's a big difference between. Um being, I suppose, uh, Instagram fit and being fit for golf and something that um, Michael Carroll went through in a previous podcast. So like John Daly is fit for golf. So when, when I suppose girls or anyone listening is thinking, oh, I need to get fit, what aspects of the fitness for golf did, and I know everyone's different, but did you maybe take for granted until you found out about them? Yeah, like it's not about being able to go out and run for an hour, not in my opinion. I want to be powerful. I want to have speed. Speed's a big thing for me now and and something that I I work on all the time. I really want to be fast, generating a lot of club head speed. Um, You know, the the science is there that it increases how far you hit it. Um, And then just general strength, mobility. I was kind of doing the wrong exercises. And then you see now the benefit of being being uh fast having speed um having good mobility you know especially like on longevity I had a couple of niggles and things like that before and I've been very lucky that I've had no injuries except for you know breaking my hand and that wasn't you know through strain on my body so I think that the fitness side of it's very very important and some an ex- aspect that you can't neglect one of the top accolades for, I suppose for in any amateur golf is to be selected on a, on a, on a team to represent GB&I in a kind of Ryder Cup context. So Curtis Cup 2016-18 was also named this year um, until it was postponed. So how important in your amateur career is being included on teams like that? Um, and what maybe have you taken out of those experiences so far? Yeah, I mean, they're just the highlight of the amateur career. I think every girl wants to play a Curtis Cup, um, whether you're going to go on to the pro levels or, you know, it's going to be the highlight of your amateur career. It's just, it's the week that you work for all the time to be part of. Um, 2016 was very special, being in Dunleary and then obviously winning. And, you know what, you learn a lot from spending, you know, Curtis Cup, you end up being t- together two weeks because you've got one week of prep and then, you know, kind of you move to the course and you have the, the week but I think the more you're around the girls, you're able to learn from each other. And I was very lucky in the first Curtis Cup, I got to play with Bronte and um, I learned quite a lot from her. You know, it's an amazing player, obviously, on the LPGA now. And then um, obviously in New York, team struggled a little bit, but uh, had a very good partnership with Sophie and managed to, to get quite a few points on the board. Um, but, you know, it, you know, playing in front of crowds, doing interviews, having a caddy, you know, it's a very professional atmosphere and, and I feel like you gain a lot from that. And then obviously the pride of representing your country and, and just feeling like you're in the biggest tournament you can as an amateur. Moving into kind of collegiate golf. Okay. It's so like I looked into Arizona and I knew it because I saw it on Phil Mickelson's Instagram a bit. So like Phil's been there, came through there. John Rand came through there. Paul Casey on the ladies like Grace Parker and Anna Nordquist were names that popped out to me. But like how did Arizona State come across your radar? 
So a big thing for me was I wanted the heat. I was like, get me out of this bad weather. I want no rain. I want perfect weather. So uh, that was one thing Arizona really had going for it. Um, and then obviously the program at Arizona State's amazing. In my head was if you can produce a Phil Nicholson, if you can produce a John Ram, if you can produce an Anna Norquist, if you can produce a Carlotta Saganda, all these players that are at the top, that's what I want to be part of. I want to be part of a program with history like that. And obviously they have a good program if they produce those kind of players and uh, the rankings were really good. And um, there was a lot of things that really appealed to me. They play a good schedule. Um, I just knew that it would really push me to become a better player and it was a really good environment to be in. I checked up Phil's profile on the, on the Sun Devil website. It's a great nickname as well. I love that. He's up on a post where yes, he should be for... I suppose, record-setting numbers that you have now matched in terms of four-time All-American and first person winning back-to-back and first person to win three NCAA championships. So, like, what does it feel like to know that you stack up against one of the all-time greats from Arizona State yourself? Yeah, it's great. I mean, we're very lucky when we open our new facility, which filled the sign, which is incredible. Um, some of the shots you can play there are phenomenal. If you really want to challenge a short game, it's the right place to be. Um, and we, we're very lucky. We've got to spend some time with him. And he's just, he's great. Uh, being able to pick his brain a little bit and, and obviously had such a great amateur career, unbelievable professional career, still such a great player. And, um, you know, to be around that and, and then, you know, kind of get a couple small amount of achievements that he's achieved and uh definitely it's it's huge did you play him for money that's the question um so kind of funny i asked him did he want to have a nearest the pin and um someone gave him the wrong yardage and he knew and then i hit but he was kind of you know he's very good at like shit talking so he he told me i'll give you two balls right before i hit the first one took me uh three or so to get inside him but <laughs> no money was involved okay good for people outside looking in, I suppose we see American collegiate life through through the lens of a movie or through Friday Night Lights or whatever. And like it is a big uptake in your life to move from home where you're comfortable to a place. And I have massive respect for anybody that does that. Can you give us an insight into like what is American college life really like, like being a Sun Devil? Yeah, you know what? I was quite surprised how close the movies are to reality you know the big campuses so many people um it actually does align quite a lot you know the the emphasis on how big college football is and college sports are and um life's just crazy you know it's very fast paced out there that's the main thing I find different you know you, you go to classes you go to workouts you go to practice you barely find time to have lunch you finish practice you go and study you work out you know it's just very action-packed very go 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 and I feel like that's kind of the lifestyle out there everyone's in a wee bit more of a hurry and um you've got somewhere to be it's kind of you know it's not as laid back as home is one of the main differences I would find like when I was in college here it was kind of up to me now granted I wasn't on any sports scholarship um I didn't have a varsity jacket but like it was very much up to me to go to my class or go to my gym or whatever I wanted to do is it more because you're on a golf scholarship uh, is it more um, scheduled for you in terms of mandatory stuff to complete yeah I would say being on a sports team there's a lot more commitments you know you have to keep up your your school if you want to be eligible to play golf so that's a big thing and a lot of probably in the back of a lot of people's head but your days are very structured I mean you have 20 hours a week mandatory practice so you might have a workout at seven you might have class after that and then you'll have three hours of uh, practice you know schedule in the afternoon and then you might have a function or something so um you know a lot of control is is taken away from you where you do you're told kind of what you have to do in the structure which is good you know and um, you have set up psychology you have set up 
workouts you've set out practice um which is good because it puts a lot of structure and then it also forces you to improve kind of your time management skills because you know if you want to get something done you need to make sure you get it done before practice or after practice because you've kind of lost that afternoon where you have to be there but I mean if you're a regular student I think you can you know kind of do what you want to do if you don't want to go to class you don't have to go to class you know that sort of way one thing I've, I've I've heard, right, I don't know if it's official or not, is that when you're on a golf scholarship that your stroke average is pivotal. And that's kind of the one main measurement of your progress or success to kind of keep your place on the team. Is there a lot of pressure around stroke average? You know, because, you know, um, it is a pressurized environment because it's a performance environment. Would that be true to say or is your experience different? It would be something you'd look at and you'd be aware of, but it probably wouldn't be the be all and end all of who's competing on the team. So say you have six, seven, eight, nine, ten players and only five are going to travel. You know, you go through qualifiers where you compete against each other. So you might have a five run qualifier where the top five out of eight go or whatever. We're very lucky at ASU. We're a small team, but we're we're deep. So um, there's less people to qualify against and there's less qualifications, but we kind of have exemptions. So if you win a tournament, you'll be exempt for the next two events. If you come top five, you'll be except for the next event. You know, there's kind of, we have exemption rules. That's how we do it. It wouldn't be the case of looking down at stroke average, but say it comes to the end of the year and it's between two players of who's going to play in postseason, then stroke average would be used where you would say, right, you your stroke average was better. We're going to take you to nationals instead. Okay. And well, that, that seems like a very fair approach for yourself then. Um, and having been so successful in, in collegiate and, and the amateur side of, on this side of the pond as well, what have been, I suppose, the major hurdles or any challenging times you've had to overcome? And it might be down to college or it might be um, from being away from home as well. One of the biggest lessons I've learned is probably breaking my hand last uh, summer. You know, I was supposed to play the British Amateur at Royal County Dawn and then uh, also British Open. And, you know, just that uncertainty of when you're going to be back, if you're going to come back stronger, kind of doubting it and then when you do come back the expectations so I think the hardest thing for me was was probably an injury uh, but I mean there's been many ups and downs in my career and and after you know the downs and the really tough times I feel like you always come back stronger and you learn a lot of lessons that will carry you through you know if you have to face the same problem again something i i actually learned going door to door would you believe is that you never know what's going on beside behind someone's house but behind someone's front door you know so like when they come out they might be all oh, perfect and winning which actually never know what's going on behind behind closed doors so that's that's a very fair um understanding it was actually a question of mine for you was you injured your hand at a very time very busy part of the season for you when you had a lot of things lined up um and you broke it hiking um was there anything specifically and i suppose more mental like mentally it was mental that you broke it but like was there anything specifically on the mental side that you had to kind of really focus on yeah I did quite a bit of um imagery work and you know just kind of imagine myself out there and um a lot of that like in situations or hitting shots and that was most of the mental work I did I, I tried to read a little bit um and then I had summer school which I was fortunate to do so that kept me kind of busy at a stats class and um a research methods class so that kept me busy as well so what part of your game do you feel has improved maybe the most thanks to your move to the States that you might think wouldn't have gotten to that level if you stayed here? I think it's probably to do more so instead of my game getting better, learning how to play different shots in America. You know, you have faster greens with more slope. You have thicker roughs. You have different roughs. You have, um, you know, you have to deal with altitude. You have to deal with warm weather. You have to deal with 
kind of different course conditions you have to hit it high Um, I feel like the courses in America can be a little bit more demanding of hitting different shots and um, I think that I've adapted quite well and, and probably learned how to play different shots and, and got very comfortable in fast greens, got very comfortable with very undulating greens and short-sided shots where um, you might not get as much over here. So instead of seeing, you know, I feel like every part of my game's kind of improved since being in America, but that would be the biggest thing I would have taken away from my game improving while being in America, say. Yeah, like that's something I, I would never have thought of, you know, like the different types of roughs. You know what I mean? Like in Lehinch, there's only one type. Well, there's two types, high and low, you know? So and um, that's something that maybe people need to think about. I know. And then as well, like you're changing every week. You know, you might be uh, one week on Bermuda and the next week on bent grass. And you have to really learn how to play those shots, especially if you're on Bermuda. You can't get too drivey with your chips and um, things like that. So that was a big part of why I did also go to America was, you know, to learn how to play different courses over there because it is quite a change from the low low links shot in terms of atmosphere or culture or maybe mentality there has to be a difference between the setup here maybe with the irish team or, or maybe in, in club wise versus asu yeah um the thing with america is you're always competing as a team as well as an individual but I feel there's that more competitiveness nature you know you're around each other all the time and you're also competing Painting against each other so it's kind of good you push each other a wee bit more whereas you know I find when you're at home you see the girls but it's not you know if you're selected for a team great if someone's not on that team it's not like they're trying to you know push to really get on make their spot in the lineup so I think there's a wee bit more competitiveness amongst each other but you're also supportive it's not like a bad competitiveness you know in America. No 100% with coronavirus still in the majority of your season um, I know that the LPGA qualifying school was your kind of your main focus for this year. How how have your plans changed with with COVID nineteen coming in and changing everybody's anyway? Yeah, it's a bit crazy. So, um, original plans were to go to Q school in August. That's now been pushed back to, I believe it's like September, October, November, December. You know, kind of later on in the months, um, instead of August. So, um, the NCAA granted all seniors an extra year eligibility. So, um. I have just applied for grad school, um, thinking about going back in August, starting a master's, competing again for ASU and then go to Q school at the end of the year and kind of see, you know, what happens after that and then make a decision based on that, really, um, just kind of take it semester at a time. But I feel it's hard to plan right now with everything. You just don't know what's going to get cancelled. You know, it's in my head, you know, if Q school's cancelled, you know, what happens and um, yeah, it's just a bit crazy right now. It's very important to have a plan B, and, and in these in these days, plan B and plan C, and definitely a plan D. Having played though in some of the ladies' tour events, like the Women's British Open, are you confident, and and you must be, that that you will stack up and qualify? Yeah, um, very fortunate to have played an LET event. I've played two British Opens. I have played a US Open, and then I was supposed to play ANA. That's now in September. So quite fortunate to have got to play alongside a lot of good pros got to play with Katrina Matthew got to play with Laura Davies got to play with Yanni Sang got to play with Lisette Salas and then also with ASU we're very lucky we have such a great facility that all the tour players come out um, and practice so you get to see them quite often and and have challenges with them and and play with them as well so um, I think one thing that I've learned from playing those professional tournaments is really getting comfortable out there I feel like I'm in a place now where I'm quite comfortable out there and 
um I kind of feel like I'm there to compete rather than there to get experience now so um I'm excited for Q school excited to see what happens and um yeah I just feel I've had like a long amateur career it's been successful and I, I kind of ready to turn the next chapter from your archer career today and it might be a Curtis Cup it might be something about Ireland it might be from um uh, a week out with Arizona have you any particular memorable memorable story or a tour tale for us oh wow that's a great question um don't worry I can cut out any long pauses <laughs> I don't know I'm trying to think of anything crazy I think everything's quite sensible we just have personal jokes along the way but no real no real gossip or drama nothing exciting like the pros were sharing on social media John Green from Port Marnock was given a nickname by Noel Fox because he was always out late practicing so they called him the lantern <laughs> so have you got a nickname Oh, nothing significant like that. Um, just you know the usual live. I used to get all of when I was playing a lot for Ireland. I don't know why the girls give me that. I didn't particularly like it, but um, that came about. But nothing. Um, no nicknames or anything exciting like that. No, no. I lived in Italy for a couple of years, so I was called um, Padrico for a couple of years. So I was wondering how the Americans handle Mahaffey. <laughs> they haven't got too creative with it yet. Let's say that. Oh, very good. We have a couple of questions from listeners or uh, from people on social media. So Heather Lowe asked, if you could only play one type of course, so links or parkland or desert, which would it be? And what is the shot you most enjoy executing on that type of course? I would go parkland because I just think links can be unfair sometimes. So I think it would drive me insane playing every single day for the rest of my life. Um, and one shot... I would probably choose like a low draw around the trees, something like cool like that. Very creative. Uh, Colin Burke watched you play uh, with Dame Laura Davies that time you played in the AIG Women's British Open in Kingsbarns three years ago now that was. Um, but what did you take from that day and how do you think your game has changed in the last three years? Yeah, that was that was a lot of fun. Um, probably took a big thing from from Laura was the driving distance she hits it so far um and I know she's one of the longest but you know it's getting longer and longer so definitely driving distance and also she is so cool if she has like a five foot putt she just wa always walks up and taps it in and does not miss it's so impressive I have to mark it every single time it was so cool um and then my game I think all around it's got better um I missed the cut that I really shouldn't have missed the cut I was, you know, I threw away a couple of easy shots and I think I missed the cut by a couple of shots. So um, I think just kind of all round improving, uh, driving distance up, I'm hitting more greens. Um, I think all the stats in general have been better in the past three years. Uh, one last one before we get into Q&A. So Breaking Power asked, if you could change one thing about golf, what would it be and why? Ooh, slow play. I can't stand it. Like there should be penalties given like that. So you'll be the Brooks Kepka of the Ladies European Tour? <laughs> yeah, no slow play, please. It, it's, it gets ridiculous these days. I mean, some college rounds were out there for six hours. Like, it's just unnecessary. So, Olivia, we're getting to the stage of the podcast where everybody really waits for, which is the quickfire Q&A, which also signifies the end. So are you ready for these? Okay, ready. Fire away. Okay. What would your walk-on song be? There's a song called Run Wild. I give it to Donald for his Wario code. It's very good. Would you go with gym or pizza? Gym. Hat, visor or a Keelan Rafferty bucket hat? <laughs> hat. Not as cool as Keelan. Can't pull off the bucket hat. Not many can. Um, he does though in fairness then. 
Yes, he does. Would you go with Happy Gilmore or Tin Cup? Happy Gilmore. Uh, would it be Guinness, Heineken, or would we'll say Chardonnay for you? Oh, can I have none of the above? <laughs> you can, of course. You can have a lovely iced tea. <laughs> yes. I used to love iced tea, actually. I used to love it. <laughs> Le Hinch or Port Marnock? Le Hinch. Great call. Walk or cart? Walk. Would you rather, um, and forgive me if I don't have the ladies' alternatives, would you rather win, we'll call it the AMA or the Evian Trophy? Ooh, I'll take either. Um, Evian. Would you rather drive it 300 yards every time or never miss a 10-foot putt? Never miss a 10-foot putt. Yeah, that'd be good for the strokes gained. Yeah. Instagram or Twitter? Instagram. And would you rather play or practice, Olivia? Play. Thanks a million for your time. Enjoy the rest of your time in lockdown with your family and hitting balls over the fields. Uh, really looking forward to meeting you inside lockdown, maybe down to him sometime. Perfect. Uh, and we might grab a couple of holes. Thank you so much. That was Olivia Mahaffey. It was an absolute pleasure to speak with her there uh, during lockdown. I look forward to meeting up in person um, and she will definitely take away the money that day. If you enjoyed the conversation, please do leave a review wherever you do listen to your podcasts. If you don't know how to, just DM me on Instagram or Twitter and I'll walk through the process. Um, and you never know, there might be a little sleeve of seed golf balls in the post. Um, and if you do see me out and about, I'd be wearing the Drew's Golf um, apparel. It is logoed up um, because I am uh, modest like that with my Paddy Talks Golf logo on it. Just ask me. Say hello. Uh, ask me for some golf balls. If I have them there in the golf bag, I'll give you give you one or two to try out yourself. So yeah, get involved with the show, folks. Head over to paddygolf.com. Uh, join the time sheet over there. We're looking to give giveaways and maybe run an invitational tournament in the coming months, and that might be in conjunction with a couple of partners. Uh, so yeah, I hope you enjoyed the episode back. I'm looking forward to bringing a few more to you. If there's anybody you'd like me to have a chat with, do tag them. Get onto them on social media or at mention them on one of my posts, etc. Try and post daily on the gram. So yeah, get involved. Um, let's build a little old community here of Irish golfers and interest in golf. And if you are interested in getting into the game, again, uh, I'll do my absolute best to try and sort you out. Um, that's it. Until we teed up again soon, folks. I'm Paddy. Mm-hmm.